Hi, welcome to the Caffeinated College Coach. My name is Wendy Steinberg. I'm your host tonight. And today, tonight we have Joan Green. She is from Baltimore. And I met her through uh, Kathy Heller's Made to Do This coaching program last September. And we were in the same pod together. And our pod still meets somewhat. I mean, I think we've kind of gone in different directions lately. But we all still keep in touch. And um, she's currently Director of Talent Acquisition, and she has created a sacred community called Together We Love um, for women who are married or into or in interracial relationships, and I'll allow her to explain it much better than I just did. And so, um, Joan, welcome to this podcast, and just, you know, start telling us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Wendy. It is so great to be here and to, I know people can't tell that we can see each other, but it's so great to see your face. Um, so thank you for having me. And I, you know, I know, like we chatted about earlier, we want to kind of stay focused around the college process, but I'll, I'll tell you my journey and then you can kind of take it from there. Um, so I graduated about 110 years ago from college. So I'm super old. <laughs> Hence the fact that I'm a mother of young adults um, too. So I, I think what was interesting about my college search, which I know is really where you support a lot of young people and their families, is I worked in the guidance counselor from ele- in 11th grade and 12th grade. I worked in their office. That was like my little extra class that I didn't have anything to do. And I loved it because I got to see all the kids and I got to see um, their pa- families come in. And, and I thought it would help guide me for my choice of college. But what happened is I, I graduated from Johnson & Wales University in Rhode Island. And in the guidance office, they had a rack of pamphlets and booklets from all these colleges and Johnson and Wales was the prettiest. And so I picked it up, I read through it and I was like, Hmm, this is for me. (laughs) And I told my parents. And one of the things that really did excite me was it's a, it was a four day curriculum classroom week. And they expected you to work in your chosen major on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in order to get ahead. And so I thought four days of class, yay. You know, that was really my legitimate thinking. It wasn't, um, wasn't like I was legitimately thinking about my career path, right? But I had been in retail since I was 16. I had been working in retail. I started at JCPenney as a cosmetic consultant. So I knew that I wanted to stay in the retail field, um, business or whatever. So, so anyhow, I applied, I got accepted and that's where I went. Um, it started off with my parents planning to afford my college, but also with a little bit of a conversation around how much I would own of that, but then with not really a conversation. So I really never knew what was going to happen. And my sister had been very ill for a long time and there was a lot of hospital bills and things coming at us. And so off I went and they dropped me off on day one. I think my mom made my bed and they left. They're like, all right, we're going to Cape Cod for vacation. Good luck. Christmas. I was like, wow. So, um, so that was my selection process. And I did stay there for four years, getting a job as a manager in retail, because I took my, believe it or not, my bachelor's degree is retail management. Like that's how narrow I went. Probably something I would not suggest to your listeners either is to stay quite so narrow. Um, but I went two years. And then I got a job as a manager in retail. And so then I went to night classes 
And I kind of, again, another thing, maybe not to suggest, it felt great because I had a management job, but I missed a lot of the college stuff because I was working all day and going to school all night. And so I didn't do a lot of the thing. I grew up very quickly in a very weird way. And so I did graduate though, making a really nice salary running stores for a company in New England. I helped them open stores and did all of that good stuff. And so I think it benefited me, but I did miss out a little bit on the fun part of college experience. So maybe that's good. I, I, you know, I don't know, maybe that was the saving grace. Who knows? I could have been a party animal. I'm not really sure. (laughs) So that's what, so that's how I got through and I got my bachelor's degree in retail marketing and retail Mm -hmm. management. Did your parents expect you to go to college? Yes, absolutely. That was definitely my trajectory. Regardless. Um, we worked very hard in high school. We did all the extracurriculars. We did all the applications and stuff. And, um, I, I think that was my my parents' expectations for sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so when you graduated, when, how, how long was it until you began running those, you said two years in between? No, it was my junior and senior year. And then I, I actually graduated and I moved to Cape Cod and mm-hmm. began opening stores for this company. So um, I didn't go home. I, I ended up I lived in Cape Cod, then I went down to Connecticut and I had to like find a roommate. And this is when you did that in the newspaper, if you can imagine. (laughs) I had to like circle and call and, you know, I had to use like a pay phone or whatever. Um, And I found uh, probably my polar opposite roommate and I lived in Danbury, Connecticut um, to open stores for them out in that area. Um, The company was Cherry Web and Terrain and I don't believe they're in existence anymore, but it was like a women's store, department store. And so I opened new stores for them. Um, I didn't come back to the Maryland area where my family is from for probably, probably six or seven years after college, I I lived out of the house and um, yeah, and it was great. I, you know, but I think that's kind of to your point, what my parents expected me to do. I don't think they ever anticipated me coming back. Right. Cause now that's actually part of the culture is sometimes our kids will just move back with us because yeah. there's no alternative. So, right. Right. Um, yeah. And my the, kids, all three of them did the same. They are all, they all lived at home. My oldest was here for four years. My middle was three years and our son is still here. <laughs> all good though. <laughs> all good. All good. Yeah. Um, all good. So then what brought you back um, home then after six or seven years in the Northeast? Okay. Without going into too much drama, okay, um, no drama. my brother had gotten married and in his wedding, I was no drama. I was paired up with a, a gentleman, a guy who I'm pretty tall and he was taller than me. So they paired us up in the wedding. Turns out it was her brother. Um, and then he was stationed in Connecticut for the Navy. And so we started dating and ended up getting engaged and ended up that he broke up with me on my birthday and didn't know that I was even, it was even my birthday. And so that, yeah, it was really bad. Um, he was, he, it was that, he was that guy. He was that guy that just exciting and all, he did all the fun things I never did in college. He was yeah. in the Navy. So he did all that good stuff. And I was so amazed by how fun and how social and all those things. Um, but he was also a little bit violent and, you know, we had some, some rough times and anyways, he, he broke up. So that point I was heartbroken. I was kind of discerning being away from my family. 
And so I moved back to Maryland and moved back home. I, I want to say I was home for nine or 10 months, not a long time, but long enough to know that as I was closing, you know, 28 years old, that wasn't really where I needed to be either. So to your point, um, I, as a mom now, I would love for my kids to be here for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I, I adore them and I love their point of view. And I really, you know, they don't really challenge me in a negative way. They challenge me in a very positive way because they have such a perspective coming out of college. I don't think I had that. I, I just moved in. And then my dad said, these are our rules. You're going to either live here or you're not. And I felt very, you know, closed in. So <laughs> I didn't stay there too long. Um, I ended up buying a house and just moving on. So wait a yeah. minute, you were able to buy a house. I was, well, my mom was a realtor. I bought a townhouse, not a huge house, but yeah. Oh. So because I had been working, remember I'd been in management for two years in my last two years of college. And then for that following five or six years, um, I had saved enough to put down it. So again, the benefit of working and maybe missing out on some of that other stuff, but right. you know, I'm not sure how to weigh that out because this is where I landed, you know? Right. Yeah. So did you have to get a whole new job then when you moved back to Maryland or? Oh, I did. Um, I did. did. And the funny thing is I. Did you start well, at so one again? I did, but I had a pretty solid resume. So another thing, right. I came out of this with a, a really solid resume, a bachelor's degree, an associate's degree, and a resume of six, seven years of experience, right? So I was, it was not hard for me to get a job. And you may not remember and your listeners as well, but I worked for Montgomery Ward. When that was they my thing. <laughs> we used to call it monkey wards. Monkey wards. Yeah, we did too, believe okay. me. Yeah. Um, so in my little, you know, God wink of a moment, that's where I met my husband, my current, my husband now. So, uh, we have been together 29 years, almost 30. And we, we met when I took the job at Montgomery Wards and he was definitely my saving grace. Cause it was a man's world. That was a, that was a company run by men. So a 20 something year old woman coming in being, and I was the operations manager. So I was second in charge of a $30 million store. And it had an automotive, it had a warehouse, it had all the things that I had never even touched. Um, so somehow I got that job and, but my husband kept me sane and we, mm-hmm. we met and were married in probably less than a year and a half beginning to end. It was quick. So, yeah. So there's that, that retail brought me joy for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So how long yeah. were you in that position? I was in the store that we met in about a year. And then my boss caught on that we were dating. Um, and he moved me to a far away place in the same, I'm in the Montgomery ward, but, but like a 45 minute commute. And, um, then we stand to be apart. So that didn't work. And then I realized that big box wasn't for me. And I, then I went into specialty again. So when I was in school and in new England, it was specialty stores, then, you know, big box, like a big department store like that is huge. And then I went back to, um, specialty and I became a manager for limited uh, limited really? express at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get a discount? Um, I worked. Yes, it was. Well, and you know, it's funny. We had to wear the clothes. So every quarter you had to wear 40% off, but you had to wear the clothes. And can I tell you like thinking about buying a house and then I had no money because I was putting it all into my wardrobe. And so by the time I got into like my third or fourth year, I realized if I just had black bottoms, I could only buy tops and I'd be good to go. So I figured that part out. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so yeah, so we I did that and then I was with them 
a couple of years and then I got promoted to district manager. So then I had 15 limited expresses in the Baltimore area. So I traveled, I did that. And then they moved me to DC. So I did DC Metro. Um, and that was probably one of my favorite jobs. Um, and then, and again, I, I think part of this is because I had that experience going in. I, when I was working in New England, I had some bosses that were really tough on me yeah. because I was so young. They knew I needed grooming and they knew I needed tough love. And yeah. it helped me grow a thick skin. And even at Montgomery Ward, like Mr. Quinn, who was my boss, he must've been 80 then, I don't even know. And all he did was yell at me. Like I go home and cry every night because, but it taught me that the customer is right and mm -hmm. that I have to think things through and have a strategy and all those things. And so same in limited brands. When you move the boot camp with limited brands, you're, you're pretty good, um, in good shape. Um, so I did that. And then we had three kids pretty close together. Um, and so like three, two and new, and then I, then I left and I opened a daycare at my home feeling like I had a business background and I could handle that. And that's kind of where like the recruiting and networking. And, uh, so I ran a daycare at home with a preschool program for 10 years as my kids were getting older. Um, so I did that so I could be with my children because, you know, God made me a mom. So yeah. we both thought kind of I should be a mom, right? So yeah. I did that. Um, school did not prepare me for that. I had no idea what I was doing, but managed to be pretty successful. I, had, I think at the end, I had like 14 kids, including before and after care. And um, so I did that. And then I get, went back out into the world to be a big girl again. And I worked for Old Navy and I got promoted after two years to be the district manager for Banana Republic outlet stores or factory stores. And I ran, um, again, 14, 15 stores for them for the next six years, um, which was really phenomenal. And again, probably my, my next favorite job ever. So I guess what I'm saying is I've been in retail, like that degree kept me on a very narrow path, which was great, but it also became the only path I could go on. So I think I would probably recommend to either get a broader degree or get a, you know, my associates was also retail. So use your associate's degree to get a secondary background. Um, it worked for me, but, but when I have tried multiple times to get out of the industry, it's been really challenging because I can't speak to anything but retail, you know? So that's kind of where that landed me for sure. So then what prompted you to join Kathy's program? Ooh, okay. So I did try to get out of retail and I got a district manager job with a company for early childhood preschools. Um, again, being a DM is a DM, whatever you do. Once I realized that, uh, and because I had done the daycare and I understood, you know, preschool programs and things, um, I took that job and with COVID in, you know, hit in March of 2020, right. Yeah. We saw our enrollment decline because parents weren't able to send their kids to the centers. And so they kept us on for eight weeks, but then, um, we just didn't have any revenue. If the kids aren't showing up, there's no revenue. Right. So eventually they eliminated a good chunk of the district manager population. And I was one of those. And my job was eliminated in May of 2020, which leads me to what am I going to do with my life? And of course I started to apply, I applied for over a hundred positions. I, I mean, minimal. Oh, Wendy, I was like an applying fiend. Oh my God. Um, redoing my resume, redo all the things that I thought I had confidence in went by the wayside because nobody was interested and that's what led me to made to do this was finding out 
what was I intended to do? What was my purpose in life? And um, I think it's done that in a really weird way. It didn't make me millions like I thought it would. And I, I don't know, Wendy, if you went in with the same at the beginning, I was like, yes, I can make a hundred thousand dollars this year doing all these things. And I did not. So, but I did get a chance to really determine who I was and look back on the moments in my career where I kind of put myself aside in order to be what the company wanted me to be. Um, and so that was, that was probably what I might take away from those 12 weeks, but also meeting you and, and Dana and Donna and, you know, all the other women that I still, I'm still connected with has been such a blessing. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I didn't think I'd make a ton of money right away. I, I was so encouraged, you know, um, I think one of the, uh, I guess prefaces that, that was part of the program was, you know, by the time you're done with our program, you could be making money. Um, but for me, there was such a sharp learning curve with technology, (laughs) MailChimp and all these different things going when that was so not my wheelhouse. It's not my generation, our generation. It's, and it was just like, I remember half of our pod meetings were like, what are we doing with the, you know, the technology? What did you, did you get this? Like, yeah, Virginia got me connected with, you know, Priscilla and then like, I'm spending all this money just trying to figure out the tech piece. Agreed. Um, And time too. I think the amount of time, and because I was unemployed and you were not like, because I was unemployed, I had time to give, but, but spending eight hours on trying to build one page of a website. Yeah. It floored me. And, and part of the program made it just sound so easy. Just go do this, just use that. Just, this is what we do. And I, uh, nothing comes that easily to me, like a just do it. I have to understand it. So I did also spend money on that. And uh, like for my website, I ended up handing that over to somebody and she's been phenomenal. Um, but then I would say like Canva and Zoom and things that I wouldn't have necessarily had to use. Those are becoming more second nature, which is great yes. too. So I think we should be proud of ourselves. We did overcome Absolutely. most of that, right? <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about what you cultivated um, through the 12 weeks. Sure. And I know initially you wanted to create a book to be an author, which I still think is in the cards for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of walk us through like what, what you, uh, ended up creating. So part of COVID also was that my adult children still lived at home and we were having dinners together, which we had always had, but not, uh, not, because they were working as stuff, we didn't have them as often. So everybody was working from home. So we had dinner almost every night together. And of course, with all the events happening, um, the conversations were pretty deep and a lot around um, society and the racial racial issues and privilege and things like that. So I, I think it really hit me hard when I realized that, remember we've been married 20, at that point, 28 years, um, my kids are grown and I never really realized you know, how racism affected them as biracial children. Oh, I forgot to say that my husband is African-American. I forgot to say that way back when, but anyways, and that, and that in itself caused a whole bunch of drama at home. And I was disowned for a while and all the things that that go along with that situation. Um, So, so anyhow, that kind of led me to really, again, part of that reflection process um, prior to going into Kathy's program was what am I meant to do and what am I missing? And I realized that I kind of had missed um, supporting my family from an interracial standpoint. I just 
plowed through being a mom, right? And that was not that that's, we all have to do that. Yes. But when you have a complex relationship, I just kind of shushed it under the rug a little bit. And just, I never really thought about it, to be honest. Um, and yet I say that, except I was disowned by my family. They, they were not happy about our, our engagement. Um, my, I mean, just some horrible things happened. So I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but once we were married, we were just married, you know, whatever. I love him. He loves me. We're good to go. So all of that led me to when, when I joined MTDT and we were thinking, what subject would we want to be passionate about? That's where that came from. And so I started a community called together. We love, um, and it is an online community, Facebook group, mostly for women who are in interracial relationships, don't have to be married. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to stick with white women married to black men because that's who I am. But I think ultimately it will open up to more um, that there are quite a few people who do all kinds of interracial marriages. I don't have the experience to speak to that. So yeah. I wanted to be really true to, to myself. Um, and to my, my people, right? So I've done that and really have had some great conversations and met some amazing people. Um, we do every, once a month, except for during the summer, we've been doing like a wine and wives where we all get on a Zoom and chit chat about whatever the current thing is happening in rage. In, but it's really cool how we relate everything back to how does your black husband feel about this? Yeah. And then how do we as white women support that? or handle that or answer those questions or or even ask our own questions without always leaning on them. And how do we self-educate and how do we teach our kids? So many of the women have young children. And so they're wondering, when do I start these conversations? And I'm like, ah, you should have started them 10 years ago. You know, like I I'm so, so aware, yeah. self-aware that I missed it all together. Um, and my children feel very, a little lost with yeah. their identity and they don't want to pick one. And they don't necessarily, it depends on what situation they're in, but I think I could have cultivated a better conversation. So I'm hoping to help women start that a little bit sooner at home and also with your husband, because I never really understood how deeply rooted racism is in my husband's heart. Um, you know, you talk about, and I'd be like, yeah, 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 what do you want for dinner? And now I literally stop. If he's going to talk about, I stop and I listen. And I think he trusts me more because of that. Mm -hmm. So that's been really good for us. Um, and then yes, the book is still in the works. I'm, I'm about 30,000 words in, I got, got about 20 more to go. <laughs> I can, if I can figure it out. Um, and I'm working with one of our peers, Krista Miller, and she's helping me out with that. And so that is going to happen. I am determined to do this. And then, um, and then I have the podcast too. I have a podcast, as you know, called navigating two worlds. And that's really about about the same subject. And I've been talking to professionals as well as yeah. moms um, and, and wives and, and girlfriends. And that's been really great. I even talked to a couple in the Netherlands. That was so awesome just to, it's over there too, right? It happens there, but they don't feel the negativity, yeah. but they know they're an interracial couple. So yeah, so that's been a really great journey and I'm still on it. Um, it did not monetize back to what we were talking about. I didn't, not only did I not make millions, I didn't make any. Um, but it has been such a joy and I've met so many people, so I wouldn't trade that for the world. Sure. Yeah. So I know that when, um, COVID happened, the George Floyd death mm -hmm. situation happened. Um, and so some of the discussion maybe at your dinner table surrounded that, how, how did that permeate your family? Again, deeper than I thought, Wendy, I, I had no 
idea. Um, mostly my kids, one of my daughters, she said, she was just crying. And she's just like, why do people look at me and take away my blackness or my identity? Um, they're very fair skinned, but, and she tends to look a little more Hispanic. My other daughter looks more like myself. Uh, my son is a definite mixie. Um, but they even talked about being in high school and not being accepted by the black community, not being accepted by the white community. Sometimes the Hispanic people who they didn't really want to be accepted by, like that's not where they, you know, they felt their calling. Um, so that was the hardest part, I think, is hearing them. And, and actually we just were, came away from a little bit of time away together. And I asked them again and they're like, yeah, you know, we wish we had been better prepared. So when they, when the girls went off to college, they're a year apart and they went to two different colleges, but both of them felt really out of their element because they didn't have answers to questions. They didn't know how to peop, how to answer people when they approached and asked, what are you, you know, and things like that. that no, gosh. They have the chutzpah to come up to somebody and go, what are you? Oh, they have the chutzpah. Yeah. And I mean, I remember in the grocery stores when the kids were little, I, you know, I take all three of them and I, like I, one example, we were in line and a woman said, you know, um, Oh, so what are your kids? What are they? She said to me, what are they? And I very sassy. I, and this is, I'll tell you why this is bad. Um, I was like, well, they're children. And she's like, I know, but you know, they don't look like you, but they kind of look like you. So what are they? I'm like, they're children. Oh, well, what's their dad? Well, he's a man. You know, I, I just never, I just never felt it was anybody's right to ask me, but here's the thing, Wendy. And I talked to my kids about this by doing that. I set an example for them to not talk about their African-American side of culture and to not be proud. Like they thought I was a little embarrassed about them instead of me, I was protecting them in my heart, but they kind of took it like, you just didn't want to tell anybody. Right. And I was like, I didn't realize that. Right. So there's some missteps that I made a many, um, but that, so that to answer your question, that was one of the things that triggered me kind of taking these steps is because my kids were so vulnerable about how they had been brought up. Um, not without a loving family, you know, it's not that, but even being comfortable in, in Kevin's side of the family in those situations, because I never was a hundred percent comfortable and they read, they felt that for me. Um, so something I should have done better. And then the other piece was just Kevin, like really deep down anger and hurt for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the people. Um, yeah, right. And he was so hurt. And then it, it just compounded again and again and again. And it was always a white police officer or a white person. And, you know, I would say for years, he's always said, well, if that had been a black person, he would be dead. Yes. Right. But, but to me, I was like, well, you know, maybe not. And now I, now I wholeheartedly agree with him. And I understand, I just never understood why he felt that way. Um, and like I said, I kind of pushed it aside and just kept moving on with my, whatever I was doing. So those two things, compelled me to really find, find that connection point within myself. And it has been very difficult because I was raised with all, not, not by a wealthy family, but because of being white, I've been raised with all the privilege just innately. You know, um, it's funny. We talk about like cereal and you know, his family had six kids and, you know, they lived in a part of Baltimore. I, I grew up in a very white community and there's only three of three kids. And, but they, we talk about cereal and he's like, well, I never had true raisin bran. I had, you know, the grocery store raisin. And I was like, well, that's, I don't think that's a black, white thing. I think that's a, 
a, a more of a socioeconomic thing, but he's like, right. But I couldn't have gone into a white grocery store and, you know, bought something and felt proud about it. Cause people would look at me and say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pick that brand name. You can't afford it. Even if you could have like things that I would never think of. Um, yeah. I could probably do a whole nother conversation on, on all of the things I've learned, which is why I'm trying to write a book because it's so much in my brain. Yeah. Um, but all that to say, that's, that's where I came from. And, um, you know, that kind of leads me back to like the kids in college and stuff. They didn't have an easy time of it for sure. Did they ever find a place to land on the campus? Like, did they find a community that just accepted them for who they were? No, I would not say that they did. And so Jordan went to High Point University, um, very high in- income families. I, I, she got in because she is brilliant. She, she want, and we drove down there and we, toward the campus and it, it's a place it's like the Disneyland of college is so beautiful. And like they have a crossway it's extraordinary way and exceptional lane or something like you just, how do you not just love that? Right. And they had her name on the board when we parked, there was her name, welcome Jordan green. Like, yeah, just wowed oh, yeah. us to death. Um, right. And it's even better now, like since she's, she's been gone five years, but I think, I think she found a little bit of peace in that she found a church that she really, really liked and went with some of the girls to that church. Um, that's where she found her connection, but it wasn't, that community was not on campus. That was just a local church. So she never really tied it back. She, she was on the rowing team. Um, she was actually a leader for the, the, uh, the on-campus church, which was like multi-dimensional. She did a lot of service for them. She ran big brothers, big sisters. She did a lot of community and that's how she found her way but it was always in a, a leadership capacity. So she didn't have to worry about fitting in because she was leading others a little. What um, was her major? She majored in education. Um, and now she's actually, I can't remember the name of her master's, but she's in her master's program. And it is um, education in diverse socioeconomic areas. And then oh. something, 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 something. It's all about psychology and figuring out how children in underserved areas learn differently than children. in yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. She really, she, she, she taught for four years and then she went, she's still teaching, but she, then she decided now I have this experience. I can, you know, do my master's and she's loving it. So we're, you know, her goal is to kind of teach teachers how to teach, especially to underprivileged kids. Yeah. Um, So while I don't think she ever really fit in and she, you know, she did, however, learn, how to live quite large. Uh, she learned a lot about fancy food and fancy clothes. And so now that's her, that's her MO. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, teacher salary doesn't always support that. that. Yeah. No. And then my middle daughter, Jessie, um, she went to Johnson and Wales in Charlotte, North Carolina and very city campus, very Jessie. Um, but she did not be, she did not fit in. There was, it, it was definitely a 50, 50 split African-American and everything else she really, she was alone almost the whole four years. She just felt very alone. And I didn't know that either. Right. Cause we'd go down and visit her and she'd be like, ah, here's where I go do this and this and this, and never really realized how hard it was because she couldn't find, she had one friend, uh, her name is Taisha and they're still friends today. And she looked exactly like Jesse. They're very similar in hair and coloring and uh, biracial, um, and they stayed connected, but Taisha kind of went off the deep end. My girls are very grounded in their faith and they, 
you know, in college, they didn't really drink or anything. They're, they're just, that's the other piece. My kids were not terribly social that way. So they didn't go drink and fit in either. So part of that piece. And then my son, um, he just fits in. He just does that thing. But he said it was really hard for him, you know, like stepping into a group of, of black guys, he couldn't really read the room and see if he was welcome or not. Sometimes he was, sometimes he was like, are you black enough? Are you not black enough? Um, so he had to learn how to do that a little bit, but he's found his passion and it's, it's not really race driven. So it's kind of okay. So yeah, they're, they're good. They're good. They're good. They're all in good places, but I just look back and think I could have done so much more to prepare them for sure. But then how would you have known how to prepare them? I would not have known. Funny thing. I would have advanced myself to here and then gone back and started over. I think. Okay, great. Um, it's back yeah, it's funny. Yeah, back to the future. That would be me. I, I guess that's a really good question, Wendy, because people have said to me, you know, give yourself a little grace because yeah. back then it wasn't a conversation, right? Oh, it wasn't. For sure. Um, but like I said, there, you know, there was writing on the wall. I knew I was not accepted by my family. This was not accepted. I knew, but I think that even fueled the fire. I, when you're that young, you know, you're like, well, I'll show you. I'm in love and we're going to be fine. And I just never really. And that didn't last very long, by the way, my parents loved Kevin and, and did for all the time. They, as soon as we had kids and before that, they were fine. It just took some getting used to, but I don't, there wasn't much conversation about it. Um, and yet some of the women I'm meeting through together, we love have been married a similar amount of time and they did know, oh. and it may have just been where I grew up. I don't know, Wendy, that's, that's something I'm kind of pondering. Cause I don't want to let myself off the hook because I feel like I owe my children I owed them more. Um, I never bought a, a black baby doll. I never bought books that, about diversity. I don't even, but I loved everybody. I just, that's the other piece of me is I'm, I'm not, my sister has been disabled all her life. Like I have, I love everybody. I don't care who you are. I'll find something to love about you because that's what God asked us to do. And I just never occurred to me. So I don't know. I don't know if I could do it differently. I, I don't know, you know. But obviously you did a thousand other things, right? Because thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Look, your kids are educated, well-adjusted, dynamic, amazing, delicious kids, right? Like, no, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have to sometimes look at what did go right versus. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So how are they, um, you know, now they're, they're grown children. They've kind of gone through their college Right. Have they found a community, um, you know, post-college? I know your Jordan is in her master's program. Um, does that even make a difference just because she's working and she's only on campus or even just online a little um, fraction of the time? No, not really. Neither of them have really found their people. They have each other. So Jordan and Jesse now live together in an apartment and they, they did go to a church here um, and they, they definitely made friends. Um, but when COVID hit, even this is kind of a crazy thing. The pastor of the church never addressed anything racially divided, nothing, nothing about how the Bible speaks to racism or loving others or whatever. And so Jordan actually connected with, uh, well, one of her friends there, they, they left the church, um, and, and they ended up asking for an audience with the pastor it, and he was really hesitant. He didn't want to talk about it. Um, and so they, they got an audience after about three, four months and they sat down and they said to him, you, 
you're leading a church that is faith-based and God says, love each other. He doesn't say when you feel like it or don't talk about it or whatever. And Jordan was really, and Jesse too, but Jordan took the lead on it and she was really direct with him and just said, we will not come back to your church because, so I guess my point point is this, it's still so ingrained in her being biracial and needing people to understand how that affects how their actions can affect. And the fact that we need to talk about this because it's, it's definitely that time in history, right? Um, so they're, they're friends with these gr- the girls from the church, but also a little divided because some still go there and they don't see, they don't understand it and they're white. They don't quite get it or they'll do the microaggressions or that like one of their white girlfriends just, she's like, well, I'm just going to date black guys from now on. And that's it. And Jordan's like, you don't, you don't even know why you're saying that. Like, don't say that for me. Like, what are you doing? So there's, but all of this is because they're grown up. Like they have their own perspectives, Right. Yeah. I couldn't have instilled that in them if I had tried, I guess. So yeah. um, I think they're both still kind of looking for the people that are like them. Um, and one of the women I interviewed on my podcast. Oh, we froze. We have frozen. So Joan is going to join us hopefully soon. Can um, understand what we go through and how we can't connect. Yeah. Um, Jacob is, has those moments, but he's a car guy. He does a lot around cars and that community for the most part is pretty open. If you have a fast car, you're in. And if you drive fast with your hair on fire, you're in. I don't think the color of your skin is an issue in that arena. And so that's, I think that's what he loves, you know, and he works for the government. So it's very diverse. Yeah. Um, so he's not feeling it quite as much. Mm-hmm. He might though, if he, you know, if he gets married, he's dating a white girl right now and they'll, so then their children will be biracial, right? He's biracial. She's white. They still have biracial kids. Absolutely. I don't know if she's ready for that yet. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. They're young, but yeah. So they haven't really connected. And I don't think it was because of their choice of schools so much. As, and again, going back to me and my husband, maybe not preparing them for whatever school they went to. Because like I said, Jesse was in the city and there was a lot of diversity and Jordan was in a predominantly white school, which she could have leaned into right. because that's how she was sort of brought up. But she chose not to because she wanted to find out who she was. So I don't think the college selection piece made that happen. I think it's how they felt about themselves and they kind of kept themselves out Again, a recommendation for your listeners. Don't do that. <laughs> Get into everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I know now you have a different role. You're director of talent acquisition. Yeah. For what company are you? Um, so working? I'm going to be, um, it's talent acquisition for the ARC of Central Chesapeake. So that's, um, I don't know what ARC actually, I don't think it stands. ARC is meant to be like a bridge. I think that's their logo is sort of like a bridge and it's in Ohio. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they, um, they serve, uh, people. I, I thought, to be honest, I thought it was adults, but I'm learning. They also serve children. So with developmental disabilities and, um, I've been, you know, working in nonprofit as a volunteer for a really long time and mostly around the brain tumor organization, which is how my sister became disabled. Um, 
So, so I will be sourcing talent and hiring caregivers for these amazing people, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, and would I say that college prepared me for that? Probably not. That wasn't a big piece of it, but I think my experience with the, with the gap banana, with the limited, I did a lot of work with, um, our nonprofit because each of them had such a philanthropic division too. And I worked a lot, like I worked in inner city, Philadelphia with, um, Oh my gosh, it was this way ahead. And we worked with, I'll have to think of the name of the organization, but we supported youth from 18 to 24 who were underserved and helped them get their um, GED. And then we placed them in our, in my stores as employees to give them like an internship and see how they liked the retail field and help them just have a boss, help them have to show up to work on time. And we did a lot of that. So some of the things I've done along my path have led me to um, the nonprofit sector, which is going to be different for me, but I think probably really fulfilling, you know? Yeah. I hope. That sounds amazing. That program. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. excited about it. I'll let, I'll let you know. Stay tuned. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. I know sure. Max, um, my son who has special needs also benefits from some ARC funding and good. home accommodations and things yeah. like that. So, um, so far he doesn't, the way it's in Ohio, he has a different county resource to help him with respite and things like that. Um, but, uh, that money does sometimes, you know, help us with like a weighted blanket or an adaptive bike or something like that. So that, that he can, um, you know, try and mainstream himself into different typical activities. So, yeah, no, I think that's so important. Now, does he have anybody like that works with him individually one-on-one other than you? (laughs) Because I know you do. Um, But does he have a caregiver that helps with these things as well? Or is it mostly you guys using the funding on your own to figure out different things? He gets a lot of his needs met at school. Um, But for the last six years, he's had a respite care person. Her name's Amber. Nice. And, um, I just actually today arranged for her to pick him up next Monday at school when both myself and Max's dad can't. Okay. And so, I mean, he calls her his best friend because, oh, you know, like she would take him to Kings Island an amusement park or the right. movies, or, I mean, she even showed up at my youngest son's birthday in June to just be like his, his, Um, like one-on-one while I did all the crazy mom birthday stuff, you know, she was able to kind of respond to whatever he needed. Right. Supporting you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So she's okay. So I need about a hundred Ambers. How do I find them? I mean, let's just chat with her and find out how do I find all the others of her? Cause that's what we're looking for. She sounds amazing. (laughs) So I guess just to wrap up, what are some words of wisdom as someone who went through college and as a mom of college students that you would share with people listening that really continue to resonate with you? So I think, um, well, I think one of the things is, you know, find your passion, but as a 17 year old or 18 year old, you are not supposed to know it maybe, right? Some do for sure. But I think remember that, that while this is one of the biggest decisions you're going to make, feel like you fit in with the school, like let you have, when you walk onto that campus, make sure you have a little tug at your heart that this is where you belong. Mm -hmm. And 
And if they don't have the exact major you want, be patient. Um, you know, I'm not saying you have to do all liberal arts, but I am saying if you go down one path and it's not the same, Jessica changed majors three times. Um, she started college as a culinary major, baking and pastry, and she actually loved it, but realized she got scholarships because she was in the, our, our high school's baking team, uh, culinary team, and then they won third in the nation in her senior year. She got a ton of scholarships, went to Johnson Wales, and after her first year, she was like, I can't do it. I can't wear no makeup. I can't have no jewelry. I can't have no nails. I have to do my hair. I, I need to be me. I can't wear a white coat with a hat and no, you know, and we were like, whoa. So as a parent, I would also say, let your child find themselves. So then she went into sports event management and she did a year of that. Not for her. Didn't want to do that. And then she went into, you know, business management and she came out very concerned that I only have a business degree. But in the end, she was able to, it took her a little more time, but she was able to find a job that was a fit for her because it isn't always the name of the degree. It's right. what you bring to the table in those interviews and stuff. So I guess, you know, without talking over myself, I just, I think be patient with yourself, choose the place that you're going to resonate with mm-hmm. and find a major that you think might be okay, but realize that you may change it and you may get out of school and do nothing with it and do something completely different. Um, I was so narrow. I really, you know, really had a hard time getting out of the the retail mold. And there are definitely times where I wished I could have gone a different direction way before all these years. So that's one thing. The other thing we didn't really talk about much is the financial piece. Um, Like I said, with my parents, they kind of led on that I would have to figure it out, but I ended up doing that because I did night school and I got a reimbursement from the company that I worked for full time. Nice. So in the end, they didn't have to pay for my last two years. I think they were planning on it and they did plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and college was much less expensive. I graduated in 88, like, hello, yeah. <laughs> it was so much less expensive. What we did incorrectly is we never really saved specifically for college. We kind of just put some stuff away here and there. So for parents, if you, if your kids are young, just save if you yes. can just do it. Um, if they're older, there are all the financial aid resources. They're amazing. Um, like I said with you earlier, Wendy, I, I, I knew that we couldn't afford it up front. So the, the kids have school loans, but I always thought that we would pay them back Yeah. and two things happen. So again, for parents, make sure you you and your spouse are on the same sheet of music. Um, my husband never anticipated that he always thought the kids would pay it back themselves. So when the kids graduated and he's like, yep, give them their loans. I was like, oh no, no, we've got them. He's like, no, we don't. That's their education. They, they went to the school they chose and they were expensive schools. You know, they were well into the 40 plus thousand a year schools. Oh, Are you serious? My, no. Yeah. I couldn't be more serious. And, and I know amazing schools, but way, I think Jesse's was started out at 38 something a year and Jordan was 40, 41. Now they both got some scholarship money. Sure. But that still put us on the, you know, for well over 25,000, probably a year, more than that. Um, and there's, and the other thing is there's a lot of extras. Once you're at college, you're not just done spending money. Yeah. So knowing all of that, my kids did not want to go to school locally in the Maryland area because they didn't want to like walk back into high school again. They didn't want to see the same people. But I think had I shared with them how much it was and the fact that they would owe that money. Mm-hmm or a portion of it, whatever we could do, they would have probably made different choices. Um, 
So if, if you have to go to an in-state college, go to an in-state college, like you've got to come out of this because Jordan's a teacher. So her salary is, is really not enough to pay, to live in an apartment and pay her loans back. Um, she's still in school. She'll probably go to school because she can defer it as long as she's still in school, right? So she'll probably be a PhD six times over just to keep deferring it. <laughs> um, Jesse has figured out how to um, navigate it and budget it, but it is a big burden when you come out of school with a lot of debt. So many people have to, but I would say make a better choice for your financial freedom if you if you yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those would be probably my two big things is love where you are. Don't worry about your major so much. Just get yourself started and give yourself grace if you have to switch. And then think about the financial piece before you really take that leap. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, it's nice to have high point university on her resume, but it's, it's still high point. It's she's still, she's a teacher. So she is where she is. I, yeah. I don't know. You know, I think if you're going to a Johns Hopkins and you're going to become a doctor, that might be a bigger priority. And those are the things you would want to right. kind of discern before, but anyhow, so that would kind of be what I would, and also parents just be really open and honest. I think I thought I could just handle it for them. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, I couldn't and can't now because I've been out of work for so long. So yeah, those are a lot of things. And I know Wendy, you can help people with so many more of those decisions. I know you probably have a million words of wisdom on how to navigate that. Um, or for your children, like if, if they're in high school and they're saving money, don't save a, for a car, save for your college. Like right. who says that, you know, my, my kids would be like, what? I need a car. Well, yeah, but you also need college. Or my last word of wisdom, as I'm talking here hysterically, um, our son went to one year of community college. So he had had some concussions and stuff and was really struggling in high school so he's like, I'm not going to go to a big fat college and struggle. I said, no, I don't think you need to do that. And so he went to community college and in the, made it through the first semester, but almost at the end of the school year, he, he left, he just walked out. And I was like, wait, buddy, you got three weeks left. Come on, let's get those credits in. And he's like, this is not for me. I'm never going to be a person with a bachelor's degree. I just can't do it. Um, and so we had to listen to him, right? I, I couldn't force him into any more school and have him feel any more unsuccessful yep. and, and have debt that he shouldn't have. Um, and so he, we said, well, if you don't go to school, get a job and full-time. And he did. And he ended up, like I said, working for the government and he's doing phenomenal. So not everybody has Absolutely. to have a college. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the no, other I piece. Love that. Yeah. I love that you would listen to him. It took a while. I mean. You know, we put him on the path, right? Just like we yes. said, everybody went to school, but um, it just was so awful and hard. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I feel good that he tried too, because who knows, maybe it would have been that stepping stone that said, yeah, now I'm in college. It's not high school and I can do this, right. um, but it wasn't. And there was, it just didn't make any sense. And he's doing really great. And maybe one day he'll go back. I don't know. Um, the government would pay for his education, but Lovely. Yeah. So that's the other, I guess my third point would be listen to your kids. Don't let them off the hook, but yeah, know when that time comes that maybe this isn't the right path for them. Maybe a Votech school, maybe hands-on learning is better and that the degree can come later as long as they're productive and not just sitting at home playing video games, unless they're going to be a video person, you know, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. You, you mentioned that because I had a conversation last week with a mother whose um, son became a journeyman. Like he's in the union. He's like, 
an apprentice now. And I guarantee you, um, he'll be making more money than me in three years. Oh, I So, I mean, I, I think that when we were growing up, there was such an emphasis on getting a degree so that you could get a job, but right. now there's so many other outlets um, right. and venues in which to create a career that um, it's not one dimensional anymore. No, it really isn't. I, I totally agree with that. And I, you know, I see the girls thinking about all this debt and they're both in good jobs, but mm-hmm. we didn't even give them an option, you know, until Jacob, we didn't give them an option. And I, again, my learning, if I could go back to the future, it would be, what do you guys really want to do? Yeah. Um, and they, and you're right. There are so many more outlets that they could have chosen. And um, I, even entrepreneurial, right? Just do what you love, find a way to make some money doing it. Mm-hmm. And and you'll be okay as long as it's a passion and you and you get up every day wanting to do that. Right. Um, I, I'm not saying that a degree isn't helpful because I, I do think it's great to have on your resume, whatever it is. But if it's pottery making and you have a bachelor's degree, have a bachelor's degree in pottery making. I don't, you know, I don't know. But if you can speak to how that tra- translates into the job you're interviewing for, good for you, right? <laughs> there are definitely things that we learn on a college campus that are so transferable, but you know, if we have children who just, their learning is outside the classroom yes. and both you and your husband supported that with your son, that's just brilliant because he feels supported. You see his success. It's a win-win. Absolutely. It really yeah, it is. And he is making a tremendous amount of money, by the way. So I would reckon like almost, almost as much as I've ever made in my whole life in all those jobs I talked about. Oh my gosh. Very close. And I think so that would be, I mean, that's an option. The government, especially down where in, you know, the DC metro area here, um, working for the government is phenomenal and it's, it's stable and it's yeah. lifelong and it, you know, that's another option too. So, but to your point, there, there are so many other things you can do. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pleased for all three of them. I'm, I'm happy where we are. I, I don't know that we did everything right, but that's the point. Like you've got to just do your best through the process. Yeah. and try to correct any strays off the path. But for parents, you're not going to do it all right. And it's okay yeah. because the kids will also step up and control their own futures too, which is what they need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much oh, fun. for taking this time to be with us. Um, I'm just, I love speaking with you. I just, Oh my gosh, I could talk to you for four hours solid for sure. Wendy. I know, so I know. I, I, yeah. I mean, have to take bathroom breaks, but we would be good. Yeah, we'd be okay though. Right. And stay tuned. <laughs> well, thank you for asking me to join. I really have loved the time together. Thank you. Me too. Okay.